This is Coda Radio, episode 248 for March 13th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week reviewing the feedback, the data, and the stats is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. How's the you, sir? Oh, <laughs> what's the matter? You seem a little down. Uh, someone's told the kids that I screwed up their whole lives. Oh, oh, you, oh, you did. Oh, it's it's gone bad. It's gone bad. What? You know, it's okay. You don't have to blame yourself. Just blame it on a, on like a like a lower person down in the echelon. Like you have people working for you, right, Jar Jar? You got a a crew. Just blame it on your crew. That's what all of the good politicians do. Yes, sir. His name is Hayden Christensen. <laughs> you know what you need is you need a little pick me up. You need the uh, Richard Stallman. Here you go. You ready for this? This is the free software song just for you. Special recorder radio recorded edition. That's why it's not in English. Yeah. You see, Mike. This is like the shittiest Join recording you can now and share yes. the software. You'll yes. be free hackers. You'll be free. Oh my god. You like it, right? Share the software. It's like the di- it's like if Simon and Garfunkel were dying in the woods together. <laughs> I see them crying and just singing that with Richard. Stone. All right, well, I guess that didn't work. I thought that might pick you up, though. I thought that might I might thought that might turn things around for you. You know, <laughs> I like the free hackers thing. That's nice. That's it appeals to me. There's something yeah, about it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and do a little YouTube DL on that one. As long as you don't have an iPhone, Samsung TV, Amazon Home, um, or the flash or other player various to watch device that. that the CIA hacked into, yeah, right? You'll you'll be fine. Ooh, all right. So we got a lot to cover okay. today here in episode 248 of our program. Do you want to start with the crow, the little crow that we have here uh, regarding our WebAssembly because we got some great feedback about it, and I did a little deep dive. Since our last episode, learned a lot more about it. So I got a ton of stuff to share with the class. But we did get some feedback from people who were like, guys, come on, WebAssembly, what the F? Is that, is that, that kind of sums it up to a degree, right? Yeah, so I ended up writing a post about uh, – we basically got some feedback that was like, how could you be so spot on with Docker? Whoa! Plug, plug. And Hello. so like missing WebAssembly. And I wrote a post and basically – Misa was wrong, all right? Misa make a few, you know, mistakes. We did talk want? about it a while ago, didn't we? Didn't we mention it? And we were kind of like, <laughs> but, but you know what the problem was? We viewed it through the lens of replacements for JavaScript rather than its kind of own compiled to source. Um, and I wrote a whole post about this on DominicM.com <clears throat> that you can go check out. But basically, I incorrectly saw it as, well, let me set this up right. There were there was a high correlation between the folks who hated JavaScript as a language and were advocating for crazy things like CoffeeScript and the folks who were advocating for WebAssembly. So I sort of lumped all those folks into one 
basket, dare I say binder. No, let's say basket of deplorables. <laughs> and kind of assigned the coffee script slash, you know, anti-JavaScript to the WebAssembly folks. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be clear. Coffee script is still a bad idea. It's just all have that in our I know it's a default in Rails. That's a mistake. They should go to TypeScript. Um, but that's basically how we missed it, right? It was uh, you know, one of the things with the open source community is you have a lot of opinions and a lot of voices, and there is a high correlation between people who tend to think the same thing. And even today, there is still a high correlation between people who like WebAssembly and people who want an alternative to JavaScript. So um, well put. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have, um, you know, I have a lot to say about WebAssembly. Would you permit, you know, I know I just abused it, but would you permit another video? Because uh, I found a really great video. It's uh, from CppCon 2016, and it's Dan Goman. He talks about WebAssembly in such a, in such a good, elegant way in like the first 30 seconds of his video that I almost feel like it would be good to See if I can find it really quick. Because I watched it. Go ahead. I, I'm on uh, twelxdancing.com. So <clears> you can. I don't know if you can tell, but I did like a little a deep dive over the weekend, and so I watched. I yeah, know I. I, I did this. I found this video over the weekend. So let me see if I can find it again, uh, super quick here, because it's, uh, it's really good. And it was uh, it was at a talk. Uh, it's going to be hard to find, of course. Oh, wait. While I think I think I might have just. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. While you find that, uh, mm-hmm. Shadow Seven in the chat rooms exactly correct because. All processing should be done on the client side. Make those filthy users pay for it. <laughs> hey, that's why I buy the nice devices. Let me do it, right? That's why I get that's the... right. Let okay. them do it. Let them pay. All so right. I won't. I won't play this longer than it than it needs to. But I feel like it's such a great uh, reason why WebAssembly is so obviously the future that uh, I just wanted to start with this. WebAssembly is targeting compiled languages. It's portable. We're going to model on the web. We don't want to bake in a particular architecture. And it's secure. It is basically essentially the same security model that JavaScript has. It can't touch your local file system. It can't corrupt your machine. Um, it's stuck within the sandbox of the browser. And it's open to standard being worked on by multiple browser editors. A couple quick um, overview of WebAssembly, if you haven't uh, seen it from with it. It's a pretty normal architecture in many ways. Um, WebAssembly benefits a lot from the convergence of CPU architectures over the decades. So many of the sort of odd details of CPU architectures that tend to bubble up through the ecosystem have basically converged, and, and modern architectures like x 6 and ARM more or less agreed in a lot of these basic details. Um, I do want to call out in particular the IEEE 754 floating point. Um, WebAssembly has, has uh, float and double as, as single and double precision. Um, and the floating point is actually fully deterministic. So if you've, if you've heard of other systems having problems with like x86, routing differently in different cases, uh, WebAssembly does not have that problem. We just define x86 to not be the correct routing mode in the correct. I thought that was really cool. So um, one other thing about this is it was in my backyard and I didn't even know it. So I feel really bad. It was in Bellevue. I, I could have gone to this, the C++ conference. Um, and so uh, he's got Star Trek quotes on all the different slides. Routing mode. And we do have tests for this is the IEEE routing modes for single double precision. Um, NDNS is also something that we can talk a lot about, which, which is if they get DNA, the is better. I think that's probably enough. But I'll put a link to the rest of the talk because it's about, uh, well, it's an hour-long talk. So that kind of, I think just that, what he rapid fires down right off the top there sort of tells you why WebAssembly is sort of a big deal. And then I decided, well, let's go, what's the next link? Let's look into uh, support amongst the browsers. Well, this weekend... Fire or maybe it was Friday, I can't remember, but Firefox 52 was released, 
and it introduces WebAssembly support in Firefox Stable. Uh, and then just two days ago, Google announced Chrome 57 with WebAssembly in it. And so then I decided to go check on WebKit upstream, and uh, there's an open bug. It's bug 146064, and it's a, uh, it's a bug to get WebAssembly into WebKit, and it's already in the nightly builds right now. So it's in development status. It's got support by WebKit. Essentially, that means if it's going to be in WebKit, it's already in Chrome, it's already in Firefox, it's going to be on the iPhone uh, probably within a release or two of iOS, it's going to be on the Mac desktop with Chrome, Firefox, and Safari. Well, with Safari for sure. So I, I saw that bug too. Now, I you, you probably know this a little better than me. How does the mobile WebKit rendering work? Is that just the WebKit project and they pull it in from the upstream? Or is there some possibility that like – you know, mobile Safari won't have it. You know, my understanding is that there was there was some 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 things introduced to WebKit in the past that Apple wasn't super on board with, and they still went with it. But I'm not oh, they really still took it in. yeah. I don't really because okay. I think you know if you think about it, if they start forking that, like, but I don't know. I don't. I really don't. I don't have the answer to it. But well, I mean, for for those who listened to last week's show, this was kind of the big thing, right? If mobile Safari, because you know Apple's bunch of bitches. Um, would go ahead and support this. That's awesome for those of us who do a lot of work in hybrid, right? But I wasn't, uh, I don't, I wasn't so sure that the upstream WebKit project was always pulled directly into. Uh, not either. So I, 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 I seem to recall in the past that there was something there. I thought, oh, Apple's not going to do this, and they, I can't. I thought there was something they they rejected in the past. Mm, if somebody okay. can fact check, so check sounds like yeah, I'd love, I'd, I'd yeah. love somebody to. To tell us no. Uh, oh, you know, so, so then I. So I've got Chrome 57 installed uh, right here, Mr. Dominic, and I thought I would tr- try out um, uh, this WebAssembly demo. It's a, it's a Unity app embedded. It's a WebAssembly Unity app embedded in the web page using WebGL and whatnots. And it, you know, it's. Whoa! <laughs> here it goes! Whoa, whoa. All right. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. It's frame rates. I mean, it's just a little simple game, an overhead tank game. But uh, I wonder how I... Oh, there it is. I see. Get I see him to chopper, Chris. Get him to chopper. I am a destroyer. So there you go. I just blew up the tank. That's WebAssembly right now. Like, it's here, dude. It's not even necessarily the future. It's basically here. WebAssembly arrived with very little fanfare <laughs> until now. WebAssembly kind of showed up at the party. It was like, hey, guys, uh, how you doing? So this one of the things that I felt better about um, after doing some reading this weekend was that uh, WebAssembly uh, describes a memory-safe sandbox execution environment that uh, could even be implemented inside existing JavaScript virtual machines, which I think is one of the reasons why it's probably taking off so fast. I like that security model. So it's it's not – you know, it's I, I, I was just – I, th- I think my the reason why I web WebAssembly over I, I over I, I was an oversight on my part was I I come from a time when uh, I was my industry was just abused by plugins and ActiveX and and things like this and so yeah. it, I mean not like this but things that echo this and so I had of a natural sort of like oh this is always bad this is always a bad thing. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious looking at this that if this is in a much better state. Uh, when embedded in the web, WebAssembly will enforce the same origin and permission security policies of the browser. It's part of uh, – it's also part of an, a broader initiative. It's not, just a, it's not just a Google thing. It's not just a Mozilla thing. I mean it's, 
it's a genuine cross-industry effort, a genuine standard, which I feel pretty good about too. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, from a like if I'm going to develop a product or an application for a customer, having WebAssembly give me these performance increases and having the browser basically be a unified development target via WebAssembly is just awesome, right? I mean, I, I can't express how how much that kind of simplifies worrying about version numbers, installed libraries, dependencies, forget about it. My target's the web, my target's WebAssembly. Um, it seems like m- the only one thing that's telling, though, is we haven't even talked about uh, Edge because I don't know if they really have any adoption and Internet Explorer adoption of WebAssembly. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. aside, it seems like it's going to be, I really don't want to say this, but almost like the universal platform of the future. Do you suppose if that's true and we go down the road a piece um, and uh, everybody's happy, we're shipping code, things maybe even iterated a couple of times? Well, first of all, everybody won't be happy, but keep going. Okay. But is this going to impact mobile development in a major way? I mean, I hate this discussion but to a degree, but you've got to wonder, is this going to make the pendulum swing back away from native apps again? We've heard – We've heard a lot of uh, discussion a year ago. Remember last year, the big conver- – or maybe it was a year before the big conversation. The web is dead on the iOS platform side. The web is dead. Everything's going into apps. And to a degree, if you look at the companies that are worth supposedly billions of dollars right now, some of them are nothing but an app. And there's some big – Well, so so there's a lot to unpack there, like, right? Like, let's, One, like well, hold yeah. on. One so do you think this could change some of that? No, but I think it's also an unfair question. Okay. If you're talking about like TechCrunch, Silicon Valley, darling apps, then yes. But I, I almost feel like they're sort of living in the past. Um, most people who are paying other people to develop apps for them are enterprises. And they are not paying for apps per se, right? They're paying for a solution where the quote-unquote app is just another portal into the solution. And more often than not the app in quotes right now is a hybrid app using something like Ionic, right? So at Buccaneer, we love Ionic. Our default hybrid framework is Ionic too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we are looking forward now. We are kind of skating to where the puck is going to go to what's called a progressive web app situation where it's actually all just a browser app, but it in, almost like taking responsive design but putting it on steroids um, because of WebAssembly, because of higher performance in the browser where everything's just in the cloud. Everything's just on the web and in the browser. I don't, I mean, I cannot remember the last time a non-startup-y, non-consumer-facing company asked us, or really anybody I know kind of in this area, to do a non-hybrid app. Now, hybrid apps are apps, right? They go through the app store, they go through all the approvals and all that crap. And they even have some native code in them, but they are not developed using Xcode for the most part. They're developed using, you know, TypeScript or JavaScript. Um, same on the Android side, right? I look at this and I think if we go down this path, there is still the possibility that Apple could just decide. Mm, this hurts our app ecosystem. I still think it's a possibility. Apple says this is this is a threat to the app ecosystem. This is a threat to in-app purchases. This is a threat to the thirty percent cut. This is a threat to unique special apps that are only on iOS. 
So we're going to drag our feed on this WebAssembly thing. And maybe they'll, you know, have some other valid technical reason too. They generally would have to have multiple reasons to do something like that. And that could be a major, kind of a major thorn in the side of this whole thing because it's not going to totally prevent adoption. But it, it definitely wouldn't be the, just a blowout success if we just had it universally. Well, I mean, it depends, right? If your app is your product, then one, that's a tough road to hoe in 2017. But you probably should go native anyway, right? But if your app is just a lens into your service or into your some sort of data API, then I don't think you care if Apple adopts this or not. I mean, tons of big companies are doing this right now with no WebAssembly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. I feel like somebody in your position, though, would be really great for your business if they did. You just start moving uh, this direction I, one day. Well, it's funny because we already are. Right. We, I mean, ju- just to kind of open the kimono a little, apps are less than 20% of my business now. Mm. Apps are almost like a, an old, you know, those were the good old days. Not that, in fact, today, now things are better. But, and, and the reason for that is the market that wanted, you know, a $15,000, $20,000 app project kind of died, right? Those were startups. Those were people who have moved on. The app cold rush is over. Most of it is basically web solutions that have some sort of mobile responsiveness or progressive mobile interface. They are not pure apps. Um, I have not hit file new project in Xcode in probably a year. Hmm. That's interesting. For a client. That's, I mean, that's, I've done my yeah, own, right. yeah, keeping up, keeping up with skills, but hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, I, and, and a little bit of maintenance here and there, of course, for iPhone projects. But nothing, in terms of new business, it's it's virtually nil. Um, the only native work I've really been seeing are some enterprises that have, like, large-scale Android tablet distributions that need just maintenance work, right? You're saying... So there you, you're saying the times have changed? Is that what you're saying? Times well, have changed? Well, I mean, in fact, uh, about a month ago, I wrote a post called App Developers Are Dead, and it's kind of true, right? The apps are no longer their own little magical ponies. Apps are, <laughs> my God, my son loves My Little Pony, and I keep making references to, like, Apple. The new one? The new one with all the colors? Yeah, friendship, yeah. friendship is freaking magic, There's Chris. a lot of colors in that cartoon. It's very trippy. Um, I imagine you watch it with your bong quite frequently. Oh, yeah, dude. That's what I do. <laughs> That's what you do. That's what I thought. No, but all uh, drug use aside, um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that to you. It, it, it's 2017. Yeah, you, I mean, you said it best. Sign of the times. The the app thing is kind of over. Not Not to say that, like, no one's developing apps, but... In terms of your consultancy and you're doing work for business, you businesses. can't be a one trick pony. That can't be even your your pony. Well, it's not even that. That's not a trick they want to see, right? right? Oh, the yep, app is yep, just yep. another interface, and yep. it's usually a watered down interface from the giant Rails app you're doing for them. So, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, we still offer it, but it's you know, if a deal is X dollars, the app is probably like five percent of the deal, mm. rather than being the deal itself. Mm. So that's okay. yeah. Except for Electron apps, but those aren't mobile apps. So. Oh, that sounds like a future show. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic, we have a couple more things to jump into feedback-wise too. But really quick, let's mention our first sponsor this week, and that's DigitalOcean, DigitalOcean.com. When you sign up, use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. 
and you'll get a $10 credit. And you can try out their $5 rig two months for free or try out their hourly pricing, which is phenomenal. It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to giving you an easy and simple way to spin up a rig super fast on their really nice infrastructure. They have all SSD drives from the cheapest rigs all the way up to the big mamma jammas with 200 and something gigs of RAM. SSDs means fast, 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 fast. So one of the things that's great about headless Linux, and that means no GUI, so it's like you go spin up a droplet and you get Linux command line with even with 512 megs of RAM. When you have an SSD storage and you have a 40 gigabit E connection coming into that machine, it is phenomenal the kind of performance you can get and how much load you can put on that thing. And that's just $5 a month for that sucker, and it just goes up from there. I love their $0.03 cents an hour machine, two cores, nice, fast Three terabyte transfers, uh, three terabytes of transfer. It's just such a good, perfect price to performance ratio for me and what I do. They have data centers all over the world New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto. You got money. But it's all about the interface. I got to say it again. It's all about their interface. Mind blown when I saw this the first time. I still remember how impressed I was because I am still impressed years later when I log in. How they have managed to take something as complicated as managing virtual servers, taking snapshots, backups, deploying applications with a single click, HTML5 interfaces for your console, managing your SSH keys and your DNS and your networking. And they've wrapped it in this simple, easy-to-use interface that even a beginner could totally figure out. It's remarkable. And then when you work with DigitalOcean a lot, you really start to appreciate their API. It makes it super easy to automate just about anything Your mind is blown when you go from issuing a command on the command line to a brand new DigitalOcean server spun up with Ubuntu LTS, Docker, all up to date, and then it's importing the Docker image that you wanted to try. It is, it really feels like the future. You can fire up infrastructure at an unbelievable pace with the uh, API. In fact, even even our good buddy Alan, they had a huge weekend for Scale Engine a couple of months back. Huge weekend. They had a, They were streaming some massive sports events, and they thought, you know, we better get ready for a little more for a little more infrastructure. And so they used that API and they spun up DigitalOcean droplets as they needed. Now DigitalOcean has since loaded some announced something that would have been a huge lifesaver for them, and something that even you could use for one application just to make it super responsive and available. They have these load balancers that are integrated now in with the DigitalOcean service, so you can scale your applications and improve availability across the infrastructure in just a few clicks. It's so cool. It's built right into the whole interface, too. You don't have to be some sort of scaling expert. You don't have to be Alan Jude to take advantage of this one. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Coder Digital. Support the show. Get a $10 credit. Keep us on the air. And try out DigitalOcean with that credit at DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder Digital. A big thank you to DigitalOcean. Thank you to everybody out there for using the promo code Coder Digital at DigitalOcean.com. So Microsoft's got some new toys. They've got new Visual Studio 2017. It's here. That's my uh, that's my best trumpet. Sorry. Are, are you fired up and excited, Mr. Dominic, about Microsoft's Visual Studio 2017 with its new features, its better fixes, and improved interface? Sure. Yeah, no, Visual Studio 2017 actually looks interesting. Uh, I... <laughs> prefer not to work in a Windows environment. Yeah. But I do about four or five times a year, spend a month or two working in Visual Studio. So, you know, I do it now about half time. Yeah. It I like the new kind of cleaner UI. Um it feels less complicated to me. I sort of can't wait for Project Rider to be out of beta. 
from JetBrains because I just like JetBrains. What's interesting to me is Visual Studio for Mac. Um, I'm hoping to see more improvements to that. In fact, there have been. Hmm. The one kind of big thing I'm noticing in the uh, what they're promoting for the new Visual Studio 2017, which I have to say I have not installed because I have 2015 installed for production reasons, is the increased Xamarin debugging and increased focus on mobile development. Yeah, I see this. Seems like they're yeah they're really kind of embracing just like that's what people are doing. Um, again, right? We were just talking about hybrid apps. Another way you could go with hybrid apps is of course Xamarin. So that's great. If you are a Microsoft developer, I think you will probably be happy. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much. I do agree. It does. It does look. It does look like a nice improvement. Uh, but I don't have much to share about it. I also, I distinctly remember just going back to when I was reminiscing about ActiveX. I distinctly feel like I remember a time where I wouldn't have seen them actively uh, advertising Git, GitHub integration or iOS support. Like it's just it is it is so much has changed. It really has. When you look at a big release like this for something that used to be a core part of Microsoft's dominant strategy on the desktop was their was their development tools. And now their development tools have been updated to reflect their new strategy. And so you see things like Docker big and pronounced in here and iOS. And it's just sort of – and Android too and Android as well. Just It's a totally different world now. I don't know, just interesting seeing that. That's- yeah, it, it's a little weird. I mean it would be interesting to hear from the Microsoft guys in the audience – you know, Microsoft is pitching Visual Studio 2017 as basically your one-stop IDE for all your development. Uh, yep, yep, I would say so. Is that how folks in the Windows side really use it? I mean, I don't even do that with JetBrains on I think on it's Ubuntu, a brilliant right? strategy. If you're already on Windows, you're already using okay. Visual Studio. So this is your world, right? And, and you're, you want to branch out. Why not branch out with the tools that you know intimately so well and have built up all this muscle memory around using? Well, that's kind of like JetBrains, right? We will release an IDE for every freaking language and platform you could possibly think about. Um, but the I learning curve is sometimes easier if you get to learn in the tool that you already use. Right, if it's the exact same yeah. program, so to speak. Yeah, I guess, right? I mean, I, I don't know much about what is going on in the Windows community. I listen to some kind of Microsoft-focused podcasts, but they all seem pretty excited about like, hey, how to do client-side JavaScript. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it, in so many ways, it feels like a different world, um, which I guess makes sense. I mean, the work. I mean, even my workflow in Visual Studio is radically different, and I, I think, sort of inferior to my workflow on Linux or Mac, um, just because I think using a command line interface is faster and more efficient because you can script it. Mm rather than having to like go through menus and crap like that sure. to do builds and things. Mm-hmm. But that may just be because, you know, before I was uh, uh, deep into kind of doing Div on Linux, I was a Mac guy. And, you know, under Mac is Unix, right? It's BSD, so. So you can't have a, you can't have a Visual Studio 2017 release without a C-sharp release. I mean, this is I, a party. I, I, thought, I mean, you, you, I guess you have to. I mean, and this, this is, I got to say, C-sharp is getting sexier and weirdly more complicated every day. This is the frosting on the cake, man. You got to have the frosting. It is the cherry on a on the turd sandwich. I'm kidding. So, so it's looking so good to you. What are you. What are you liking? Okay, well, there are way too many features. Yes, for me to go dude. Through. I know. When I saw this, I was yeah. like, how how can we possibly do this justice in one so, episode? I'm going to pick three. Okay. Number one, pattern matching. 
And I'm going to read right from the MSDN doc here. C-sharp 7 introduced the notion of patterns, yay, which abstractively speaking are syntactic elements that can test that a value has a certain, quote, shape and extract information. So what the hell does that mean? Well, it is a new way to test cases in your code. Oh, okay. This is a pretty nascent implementation, but I know some of our more functional ponies will be pretty interested in... Uh, this is another thing basically stolen from F-sharp. I mean, if we were, really want to boil it down, this is there's been a trend of functional programming techniques and uh, abilities bleeding from F-sharp into C-sharp. It's Microsoft's attempt to, you know, their, their whole thing is that C-sharp can basically be your programming language, right? C-sharp on the mobile client, C-sharp on the desktop client, C-sharp on the back end, TypeScript, which is a Microsoft project on the front end for the web. So they're adding more functional abilities, which is actually great. There's also a few cool tricks with switch statements that you can do with patterns. Um, they have tuples now. Hey, there's a lot here. Um, the one thing I would say about a lot of these changes, and I'm not a deep Microsoft guy, is I spent a good portion of last quarter doing C-sharp. One thing I found about it is, it, and it's not the first time I've done C-sharp, but every, I, I, you know, I, I spent about three months doing C-sharp a year, right? I always end up <laughs> in there. Mm-hmm. Every year with every version, the language is just bigger. Mm. Meaning there is like radically new functionality. Like I pick up C-sharp code from another developer and they've got this crazy new functional thing that they pulled over from F-sharp they're doing. Um, you know, and I do wonder... Again, a question for our Microsoft folks in the audience. Do you ever feel like the language is moving too fast? Or is this my curmudgeonliness being an old Objective-C guy, which, you know, doesn't change? By too fast, do you mean, is it is it going to grow? Is it growing too big too quickly? Like, is it too like, much? Is it, is, it, is it incorporating too many functional elements to the point where it's kind of becoming every possible language feature you could have thrown into one language? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and, and, and do you think part of that is because that sounds like something Microsoft might do? I mean, that's a very '90s way of thinking, right? But is that why it's coming through? Do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see. Is it like a prejudice? Is it because I'm not a big fan of like kind of the Microsoft development way? Because do you feel like that could happen to Swift right now? Well, what I will say about Swift in the Swift team's defense is there is a logical consistency. Even if you read the Swift evolution mailing list and everything that they do. Hmm. Now, I don't agree with the logic. I think what they're doing is kind of destructive and wasteful because I still think Objective-C was fine, but whatever. <laughs> but, well, no, no, no. But, but, but see, I saw you pay. I see you just baited me there. Um, <laughs> it still flows, right? So Swift feels like you should follow uh, a more prototypical development pattern, meaning okay. not prototypical in terms of like a prototype, but prototypical in terms of um, I'm not, I'm sorry, not protocol, protocol, right? Protocol-oriented programming. Prototypes are JavaScript. So many languages, Chris. I thought you just meant uh, like you follow a very procedural process. Like you- no, no, they want, they want, so the, the, there's, and we're not going to go too deep into this, but there's OO, there's functional, and yeah. there's uh, protocol-oriented programming, which is the new hotness. I love it. I don't think that it makes sense given that Coco exists, right? Right. Now, if they were to rewrite Coco to be protocol-oriented, particularly UI kit, no. then 
Sure. Well, no. Why? Why no? That would be better, right? I mean that 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 would make sense if you gave me a protocol-oriented framework and a protocol-oriented sure. language. Sure. Then that makes sense. Now, Swift is technically OO, but it really, you know, quote unquote, idiomatic Swift follows more protocol-oriented patterns. Um, that makes sense. So let me kind of contrast this back with C Sharp, just because I know this is getting a little in the weeds. I love it. I don't like what they're doing as Swift, but they are following that logic. Right? There's a logic there you follow. There's a logic there. You can grok it. We want, we want people to move away from these patterns uh, they've learned in Objective-C. Right. With a more pure classical small talk OO style. And we want them to go to this protocol-oriented uh uh, sort of method with you know optional and wraps crap like that. So we're going to every version push them that way, right? Again, you may not like the individual decisions, but there is a there's a path that you can follow there. Yeah, right. There's an obvious you know I could see in three years what Swift's going to look right. like, and I can make some educated yes guess. However, in object, uh, god damn it, C sharp, C sharp is originally it was like a java clone right it was like java, <laughs> i love it when you say that <laughs> well that's what it was i, I mean it, i know but i love it when you it, say that they like make it because they got sued because of j sharp i mean hey that's that always i know but every time we say that we hear from somebody at microsoft or someone's like oh we that's not really true <laughs> well it's not true anymore but it was true right like when, when it came out I, I i don't i'm not even sure why that's a bad thing it was i a, don't know i don't know right it was a I just, it just, I mean, it just tickles me every single time. CLR, I mean, I, the CLR is in a lot of ways better than the JVM. I'm not sure why they would be ashamed to say that, yes, we have implemented, you know, we took ideas from the Java community here's, and we implemented them differently and now they're better. I, mean, I have a, I have a, I have a theory to, to pitch to you. Pitch I would suspect that the reason why you feel like you can suss out the logic of the Swift project and ergo project out a map of where it's going, a path, if you will. I would suggest it's because they're younger, tighter, more narrowly focused, whereas C-sharp probably doesn't have such a thing. They probably have a much more nebulous set of goals, multiple teams, stakeholders uh, with a huge staff. It's I, Now, this is my perception bias of Microsoft, but I would say it's probably a, a order of magnitudes larger scale operation. And the way that's reflected to the public perception is this sort of – ambiguity around where it's going why it's getting so large and what the and what their priorities are in terms of the focus of c sharp well there's a couple other things too right one c i mean okay we're not gonna get in a fight about the whole java thing but c sharp has a lot of history swift does not yeah exactly exactly right and 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 c sharp has to carry compatibility backwards for the most part where swift you know right Mm mm-hmm Exactly. We know how they feel about breaking things. I think it's the nature of the beast. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's just, and it's not even necessarily. But what what they could do, Mike? I think if you accept this premise, what I think they could do is they could be better about communicating how they're going to tidy things up. What what their not even what they're going to do, but just what their philosophy is about keeping things tidy and keeping things lean. Well, in their defense, they're keeping it tidy, right? So this is kind of like last week we talked about Java 9, and we talked about the reactive uh, sort of elements, right? And I forgot the name of the class, but they added that React. Somebody can just listen to last week's show. Um, And I said I didn't like the reactive programming model being forced into Java because Java is not a reactive sort of programming 
language, right? It's Java. Swift is doing the exact same thing. I mean, not Swift. God damn it. Uh, C Sharp. I think if we had like somebody from Microsoft's C Sharp team, they would say, hey, man, you don't like these features. You don't have to use them, right? All the legacy stuff still exists and it is still supported. That, I think, is kind of a, 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 a limp answer, given that if I get a code base using all these crazy features, I now have to support it. But it, 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 they're certainly not forcing you. Like, like, there's a difference, right? The C-sharp team is not putting a bayonet to your back like the Swift team did with the Swift 2 to 3 uh, mm. transition mm. and saying, you must change or else. Yeah, uh, they're I, saying, yeah, no, we added this stuff and it's added. I, I think, I, it I think that's not. a, I mean, you can mischaracter, I think that, that could be a mischaracterization because if you don't also do that, you end up with something that's huge and bloated and sort of ambiguous. Uh, Why is it huge and bloated? If, no, if I'm I saying that say can it, be like if you're not willing to, to just lay down the law and say sometimes we have to, we're young, it's it's still okay to make these transitions. We've got to make them. Well, they're not young. They're, I mean, again, they're from the like early 2000s, late 90s. I'm talking right? about Swift. I mean, I'm saying you're giving oh, Swift you're a hard Swift. time oh. for – they're not holding a knife to your back. It's like they're making the, the best long-term health decision for the project. Well, my issue with Swift is how they version the language, right? They, they, if they were going to do stuff like that, they shouldn't have called it a 1.0. Mm, and okay. they shouldn't have re- Fair. required you to upgrade to like deploy things and Xcode to the app. So, I mean, there's a whole thing about Apple kind of have, being heavy-handed on policies, which we can talk about if we want because we've got some feedback on that. Um, hmm, really? That we could that yeah that is a little different. I thought there was some before we go off of uh, the C sharp release. Uh, I thought there was a there were, oh, I'm trying to find it now. I can't find it. There's a comment in here that I thought was interesting. It says that C sharp is sli- yeah here we go. C sharp is sliding towards being a write only language for large size solution code bases. Uh, and he goes through a whole lot of reasons that I don't really feel like getting into. But uh, it does seem to be there's some people that are agreeing with him in here about it. Uh, and he he, draw, he he draws some comparisons between other write only like uh, APL and Perl and forth. Uh, he draws some some comparisons that I don't know. I, I just I guess I guess it seems like a pretty solid release. I I still feel like even from the outside, I could look at different different projects and the way they communicate, and I'd say I, I would not necessarily say that I fully grok the way that what the .NET project has in store. But one of the things, like I said earlier, that I really like is. They're, 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 because of their size and, and because of their long established uh, history, like when they do a release, like this is, they, they go all out on this stuff. This is, right. this aspect of their communication, just to sort of counterbalance what I said earlier, this aspect of their communication is just top notch. No, I mean, the fact that there's this great MSDN doc that even if you don't like these features yeah. or you're confused by them, you can yeah. just read and understand them. Yep. And, and I want to add one thing. If you are, uh, I guess more progressive or more aggressive than I am on wanting to kind of move things forward in a different direction. Be aggressive. Then C sharp adopting some of these uh, features is a huge win, right? Because now this is bringing this type of functionality to, I mean, hundreds of thousands of developers who just like work regular jobs. Well, right. Put, I mean, yeah. C- yeah. yeah, it's the language of the dark matter developers. So, and we, I don't want to get into it because <laughs> okay. you know what? All right. We're not Microsoft guys. And, and I feel like we often turn back to, well, it's just Java, you know? 
Uh, yeah, and I love that. All right, so uh, yeah. there is some hoopla to get into, and I got some questions for you, Mike. I got some questions uh, for you. How dare you question me? ScaleYourCode.com. Go there, sign up. You can unsubscribe at any time. Go there, but sign up. Only two to three emails a month, and it's so worth it because you get access to so many great interviews where you can learn from successful developers, sysadmins, team builders. Uh, it is. I, you know, I've covered a few of them. Uh, like the founder of Ruby on Rails is up there. Uh, the co-founder of Stack Exchange. The chief, the chief architect at Reddit, uh, as well as a bunch of others: Google, Etsy, Heroku, Shopify, Docker. Um, in fact, I was just looking at one. Let's see. Here, yep. There. Aha! Look at me with the bookmarks. Haha. Building APIs: the Cloud Elements way. How cool! This is really cool. It's Travis, I think it's McKenzie. McK- I'm not sure. McKenzie. I hope you could probably listen and find out. Maybe I will. Cloud Elements, of course, as you likely know, is a platform for API integration and management. And this is an interview with Travis about that. You can, uh, I think it's actually kind of neat too because you get a little insight into how Travis works, uh, like with the uh, communication tools and whatnot that they use, which is very, very handy for, for people who are looking at improving communication in an engineering team. So that's just a, that's one example. There's many, many others up there. Go to scaleyourcode.com. Sign up for their email list. You get... You get two to three emails when they got a new interview or a new post or something like that, and uh, you get to learn more. So simple, so easy, and it's free. ScaleYourCode.com. Go there, sign up, get access to those interviews, and learn more. And enjoy, not just enjoy, but while you're there, dig around and learn from some of the mistakes that they ask them about, which I think is brilliant. It's brilliant. ScaleYourCode.com. So Mr. Dominic's quest to dominate YouTube continues, and uh, this week I notice he's doing it with a new style, the video up in the upper left corner. Well, of the... You're so funny. <laughs> and you know what I thought? I thought at first I thought, oh, this is brilliant. He's going to have a whole bunch of information show up on the side and underneath. It's going to be like bullet points and, and code example or something. I don't know what I was going to be, and then I realized as I watched – you just encoded the video. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you what are you using to do that? So I'm using OBS. I'm doing it on the lemur, um, oh, okay. and I'm trying to. You know, I'm having a lot of problems with these videos. It's funny because you know, and I, and I do not. I was going to say, don't use a Mac, but you would. There would be no way to get that on the Mac unless you intentionally did that. It's just funny that on Linux you can accidentally end up with that because there would be no way to get that on the Mac unless you went into your video editor and scaled the video down and positioned it up in the corner. Yeah. It's so, so funny. Apparently, the default was I. I don't know what I did. I know what you did in OBS. You didn't. Uh, it, you had to drag the little box or make it fill yeah. the. Yeah, yeah. You'll get it. You'll nail it. Don't worry. You're close, oh, really. I mean, I, I did learn how to use GIMP a little bit, so that's an achievement to do the cover image, which wasn't great. But the Yeah, I noticed thing. you were messing around with GIMP. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a process, right? Like everything yeah. else. And the only way and, – and, and God do I know, the only way to get good at video is to just do it. And you have – the only way to really do it to completion is to publish it and then learn and it – I mean, you can go back to some of my early videos. It's so embarrassingly yeah. bad, What some of my old stuff. I mean, what I would say is uh, the video that Chris is talking about is three Docker tips for the enterprise with, with a bonus tip. Um, you and check the bonuses. It yeah, I got it linked yeah, in the show bonuses. notes because that's how I do guys. There's, there's oh. a corresponding blog post for it on Buccaneer.io. It's, it is some valuable information about Docker and how you can practically use it. Uh, there's also a little bit of an offer in there if you or your company wants to do something with Docker. But... Yeah, I need to make sure the video is full screen. I, I congratulate you though for for still trying, and also for not for not doing it on the Mac because 
It's just if you can learn to do it on a platform that is more flexible for you, and what I mean is one that you can install on different hardware. So, it, in, you know, when you're changing laptops and stuff, you don't have all of a sudden this requirement that it has to be a MacBook Pro with a dedicated GPU because that really locks you into a certain price range because you're doing this on a Lemur. And the Lemur is not a big old MacBook Retina with a dedicated GPU, and you can still get this close. Now, I could tell if you had a slightly faster machine, your frame rate might be a little better. Uh, and do you have a if you had a if you had the uh, uh, the Rode or the Yeti, yeah, that'd be good too. Yeah. So what what I'm but your I like the camera position better this video, and I like the lighting better. So I, there's some comments. Yep i I put a. Uh... I put a printer toner underneath the Lemur to get the camera up. <laughs> Life hacks. So I, what can I say, right? This is something that I'm trying, and I think it is working. Video, pro- I now have a newfound respect for video production. Because <laughs> tremendous pain in the ass. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, good I, for I you. Think the tips are valuable. If I can just get the video yeah. right. We'd be well, the then really, that's the key part is if the tips are valuable, people will, right. people will listen. Uh, it just, yeah, and then you can work on the other stuff. So it sounds like you got your priorities right. Uh, good, good. I'm glad you stuck with it. I wanted to get your opinion on something while we're talking about the Ubuntu's. Canonical has launched a new tutorials website. Now this, now, this isn't shocking all to begin with, but it seems like they're really focusing like out of the gate on developers and developer activities on Ubuntu machines. They say it's part of a bigger project to improve our documentation across all our other projects. Our goals are to improve the discoverability and ease of use of our documentation. Um, and it looks like it's also going to be uh, contributable by, by the community. I don't know to what fashion. It's not like a wiki, so I'm not, I don't know exactly. Uh, but I thought this was fascinating. It's, it's, a, it's a basically a path for getting started on development on Ubuntu. And they've combined that now with an Ubuntu app developer portal. Um, which sounds interesting. Uh, Canonical's David P- P- uh, David P announced the release of the Ubuntu Developer Portal, which can be found over developer.ubuntu.com. After several months of work, the Ubuntu Developer Portal aims to help new developers get familiar with technologies, frameworks, and processes for developing rich applications for the Ubuntu platform. Uh, it features help videos, links to resources, instructions on how to get started, and for developers with an application already published in the Software Center, a dashboard for tracking down downloads or sales. So they they do seem to be uh, – there's never a wrong time to do this, but it does seem to be like they're – I'm going to go check out developer.ubuntu.com. Let's go take a look. Yeah, see, see yeah I like. checked it out before the show. It's interesting. Um, you know, you could make the next ge- great generation of apps. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, they oh, have – oh. Oh, I feel like there's a bit of a credibility problem here when they are showcasing stuff that isn't even shipping products on, on a large scale. Like the phone ships, but – not at a scale that's attractive to developers. So it, it, why not? Why are there not pictures of any of the world famous applications that run on an Ubuntu server? Why is there not you know examples of what are people likely coming here to learn about? I, I would bet there's. I would bet the percentages are much higher for server side development, cloud development, quote unquote. Even I would bet Ubuntu desktop development is a higher percentage of the reason why people are coming here than develop to develop software for Ubuntu phone. But yet what is showcased here? It's Ubuntu phone. It's a mixed priority problem they have because they make money from all these other aspects. The thing they don't make money from is the only thing they constantly talk about publicly in this, in this medium. It, it drives me crazy. Not to be critical. 
But I feel like, if anything, Ubuntu Core should be up above everything else, or any of their right. Internet of Things uh, initiatives should be anything, anything, anything in that regard, or even Snap packages would be a better yeah. thing to have no, up on I this screen. Like, yeah, Snap packages are actually kind of a big deal. I, I would like to see more on that. I don't know. I mean, I have literally no interest in Ubuntu phone apps, right? Exactly. And I'm pretty sure I'm far from alone on that. Yeah, and I just. I, I don't know. I, I, one of the conversations we had years ago, I think now, that just really resonates with me is that there's just not a really great path to start with targeting the Ubuntu desktop or Ubuntu servers even, even though that's such a – it's disproportionate to the size of the market, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like they're, they're, it, with the size of the Ubuntu server base, I would think there, there would be a very rich set of documents and courseware and videos and – and really easy to follow and understand paths to get started just right there on that page from Canonical. But instead what you have is a world of third-party documentation guides and stack exchange threads that are out of date every year. So you just have this this graveyard of Ubuntu documentation that isn't – nobody's paid to maintain it. They at best are getting ad, ad revenue when people visit their crappy websites that have ads everywhere. And it just – it, I don't know if this is because Canonical doesn't make enough money so they can't spend money on initiatives like this or if it's because they spend money on other initiatives like Ubuntu TV, Ubuntu Android or Ubuntu Phone I, I don't, I, or Mirror. I don't know exactly where this disconnect comes from because I, I, the more people I meet at Canonical, the more I respect and find them intelligent. So it's a great group of people. But yet, yet it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there's a real connection between what drives that company's actual revenue and where their actual market wins are there's not a connect there like they have a product <clears throat> that has a has a it has a phenomenal deployment base in the server like it is i believe one of the most underrated user bases that we talk about because we just don't have conceptually it's not in our dialogue much there's nobody talking about it it's just sort of assumed but we talk about the huge user base of Android or the massive user base of Windows on the desktop or iOS or whatever. But we don't but in the same category of numbers at the same scale is Ubuntu. But we don't talk about it like that. And it feels like Canonical doesn't even think of it like that. Because you go to their website and what are they talking about? They're talking about the dumb phone. That they're not even that, that that's on hiatus right now. It's madness, Mike. It's madness. It's weird. I mean, they seem to think that like Unity is some sort of, and the ability to do like apps that scale up and down for the phone is some sort of competitive advantage for Ubuntu. <laughs> well, I think um, they think it is. Well, it's not, right? I mean, when I think of Ubuntu, other than, I mean, I run an Ubuntu desktop, but I also, you know, I don't do any development for my Ubuntu desktop, right? I do development for servers most of the time and for web applications and you know, we were talking about the beginning of the show, and we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, that the the target platform for a lot of development is just going to be the web. It's just going to be the browser. Yeah, so if, you, if you look like, at since we've done this yeah. show, since we started the show, they've had zero success. I would say zero success in any large application targeting the Ubuntu desktop. If you look at the big applications that even the folks at Canonical are using, it's things like Telegram, which is Qt-based, which is also their own forked version of Qt, essentially. They have Slack, which is a web application. They have a bunch of web applications, Hangouts, another web application. But even at Canonical, their own team, there's there's not like there's some huge, big uh, application that was targeted for Ubuntu 
it's still like if you're on Ubuntu, the number one apps on Ubuntu are web apps, which are, guess what? The same exact apps I can have on Fedora, the same ones I can have on Arch. There's really no competitive advantage there. But they've been trying to talk about – talk up this story for developers since this show – since before this show was on the air and it's gone nowhere. And I, I think I think the reason why this gets me fired up is this is the reason. It's this stuff. It's this trying to get you to focus on something that doesn't matter because it assumes that developers are are stupid. It assumes that you don't know where the market is going. It assumes that you don't know what makes money. It assumes that you can be tricked into getting hyped up for a mobile platform that nobody uses. And that's a reason why it's offensive. Not, not only does it not properly represent the market, but it is offensive because it assumes you're dumb enough to want to do that. Now, if you have an Ubuntu phone, then you'd probably want to make an Ubuntu app, and you don't need this page because you already know about it. It is a self-serving market right now. Those developers don't need to be evangelized to. They're already using the platform. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it literally makes no sense to me, right? I mean, my focus uh, in terms of development is, you know, web apps with Docker on Ubuntu systems or possibly core OS. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably super common, right? Yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of like, you know, it, it almost feels like they're skating to where the puck was in 2010. Or they're hoping maybe the puck's still coming around. Like the puck's still, it's just a long arc for the puck. Well, but we heard the story a couple years ago from Canonical, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, iOS and Android, but, uh, you know, developing markets, you know, we'll, we'll get them. Yeah, right. And then Android basically picked up the entire developing world. Yeah. So where where does this go? I don't know because the product the project itself is in a sense in stasis while they work out a few things and they make some transitions to to new packaging format and whatnot. So it's it's not even clear where it's going internally at the moment. I think it's being for canonical. I believe it's being folded into just a broader part of Ubuntu. Now you just have Ubuntu across the cloud, across the desktop, the laptop, and the mobile device. And you can have it's all Ubuntu. It's not going to be Ubuntu mobile. It's not going to be Ubuntu desktop. It's all Ubuntu. And it's now it's just going to be part of the broader Ubuntu strategy. How that translates for developers to make any sense of what to develop, when they should develop what, I don't know. But maybe with, one day that'll be told to us. In the meantime, the world moves on. We have Electron apps. We have web apps. We have containerized applications. It just feels like they've just totally squandered a massive field advantage. Ubuntu has this field advantage in the Docker space right now, but Core OS is starting to nip on their heels, right? I, yes. I'm starting to hear whispers about yeah. clients saying, "Well, why Ubuntu?" Like, and there's other there, there's other uh, b- there's there's other distributions that are becoming more popular to run inside the container too. How about Rel? Right, Rel will do Docker. Yeah, or CentOS. Yeah, CentOS. I don't. I don't find. I find. I think. Knowledge. I think that division will remain. The fundamental packaging aspects are so. On, on, but yeah, perhaps yeah. you know. But okay, one thing. Then we're all done. But I just wanted to. I just wanted to because the reason what made me sort of reflect on this is I, I. I thought back. Microsoft blew so many opportunities back in the day when iTunes was coming up. Apple had to convince the Windows market to install QuickTime. Like you had to install all this oh. stuff, right? QuickTime and iTunes, and I think at one point, like they even started installing Safari or tried to, uh, and they'd you know try to set like the QuickTime trailer stuff up on your computer. And despite, despite all of this hassle, 
despite all of this distrust of the QuickTime player and, you know, the fact that Apple made horrible Windows software, Apple was able to launch a dominant iTunes music platform store right right underneath the nose of Windows Media Player that came pre-installed on every Windows desktop that had a store of some kind. In fact, back then, when I don't know if you kids remember, but back then, uh, Microsoft had a deal with MTV. It was a, the Windows Media Store was a combination with MTV, and they had a music store. And it, and it just went – they didn't properly execute. They had the home turf advantage. They had all of the desktop. They had Windows Media Player installed on every single one of those, and people still went out of their way to get iTunes. That's the level of squandering that I think Canonical is committing right now with their server base. It, it feels like a massive squandering of developer resources right now. And instead of getting all of these developers to circle around the Ubuntu platform – what you're really getting is developers to write things that are way more agnostic than they've ever been before and make Ubuntu less and less important to the overall machinery. And, and just as fast as Ubuntu got dominance on the cloud, it can be replaced by something like Alpine Linux or CoreOS or maybe even some crazy stunt that Red Hat pulls off. There's, there's, not, there's really nothing that's anchoring that market grip. There's not, people, can, people can try different package managers. Systems get replaced. Like, th- it can be just a matter of years, and all of this can change. And in the meantime, they're telling you to write apps for their phone that they're not even shipping anymore. That's why it gets me. End of my piece. But I, had, I just feel like it has to be said. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, good. I love it when we end it on a happy note, Mr. Dominic. <laughs> Where can people find you throughout the week? Go. At Dumanuko on Twitter and at Buccaneer Tech on Twitter. And give us your feedback. Let us know what you think about all the stuff we've covered this week. WebAssembly, the new C-Sharp stuff, your uses with Visual Studio, my thoughts on Ubuntu a server market getting squandered. Don't forget to follow me at Chris LES on Twitter, at JupiterSignal for the network, coderadio.reddit.com for content. And your feedback, also jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Join us live next week over at jblive.tv. Get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thanks for being here. We'll see you right back here next week. Next week.